Mm-hmm. All right. I'm just going to start it here, but we can begin whenever. Howdy, gentlemen. Aaron, uh, thanks for coming into work. Um, appreciate it. No extra yeah. pay. Yeah, no extra pay. This working um, from home shit really sucks. Yeah, <laughs> sure does. How have, uh, Aaron, how have you been as far as quarantine slash riots? I know, you know, the Massachusetts area generally is pretty prone to rioting. Um, Actually, I think our... Our unrest has been pretty mild compared to oh, other places. Very nice. I mean, we've had like, we, there's been clashes with the cops. There's been property damage. Um, I haven't actually heard of any looting in Boston. But, uh, oh, man. That's oh, a shame. I, I guess Providence, there's been looting. But, oh, looting. nice. But that's Rhode Island, and fuck them. Yeah, cha-ching. <laughs> places of shit all. They actually, they actually did what they said. They were going to go and attack places like Rhode Island. That's <laughs> yeah. there you go. Good job, Antifa. Sticking to your word. <laughs> Car, same as usual. Did the record improve from yesterday? How are we doing? No, 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 no more volleyball since yesterday. So, uh, oh my god, yeah. wow. So, what are you trying to sneak in after this? I'm confused, ladies and gentlemen. We're recording a lot earlier than we normally would because Car Campit has to go and sneak something in. Well, Wednesday's dollar beer night over at my. Oh, dollar. The guy is winning games, drinking dollar beers every night in the middle of a quarantine and a curfew. The guy's living his life. That's right. He really is. That's right. To the fullest. (sighs) Gentlemen, well, Carr, you and I, and then Aaron, you know, you've been hounding us for it. We we tried to avoid as much as we could talking about, you know, (laughs) the event yesterday, (laughs) that we could save that for a chat between the three boys. Um, so I'm going to let you, Aaron, since you wanted, you're so eager to talk about it, why don't you lead that? And then I'll promptly kick us off and get to the thing that I want to tell everybody about. Yeah, I've been really wanting to talk about the Chicago Bears quarterback. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> about the social unrest? I mean... Yeah, what do you, how do you feel? I think we're all uh, approaching it from the same perspective. It was inevitable. Yeah. yeah. It's right. not surprising. Right. Um, if you go on Twitter, you can, you're, you can either be a sociopath like me and just roll around in the cess or it'll make you really depressed. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Between I think I've, I've two oscillated options. between the two of those lily potential pad. options. Yeah. Yeah. Back and forth. Yeah. Lily pad. There you go. Car camp. Mm-hmm. What a callback. Oh, right. wow. <laughs> Very impressive. Uh, car, anything you want to say? You shot anybody yet? What's the deal? <laughs> No, no, I might, you know, my neighborhood's been, been pretty quiet. You know, we've I've nice. been playing volleyball. I've been drinking beers, you know, dog beer night, not to, you know, rub that in anywhere, but, uh, not, no, rubbing. Yeah. no rubbing felt. And, uh, yeah, no, my, my neighborhood's been super chill. So it's been, uh, it's been good. Actually <sighs> Fort Worth in general has been super chill. If this lasts for another week or so, like constant unrest and looting, rioting, then, then I would expect it to hit the suburbs. I've been having a blast. It's personally. <laughs> oh yeah, been having a real blast going. I out think and- Bird. I think I think what your or my coronavirus and your irritation with my lack of caring about coronavirus is me not caring about you being on quarantine. It's very irritating to me. Oh no, I was talking about the protests. Oh, the okay. quarantine has been an absolute boner. Okay, good. Absolute boner. Good. being in the quarantine. No yeah. fun there. Zero fun. Zero fun there. But it's yeah. been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun watching it happen. It's been a lot of fun, you know, participating and, uh, you know, having a good time. Um, yeah, I don't know. I Just to get back to what you were saying, Aaron, I'm not – yeah, I mean, suburbs in general, yeah, possibly. Uh, but I've been shocked. Like, Fort Worth's a big city. It's not New York or Boston or whatever, but um, it's a fairly big city. I mean, it's nearly a top 10 population city, and my neighborhood is about as – urban in every sense of the word as as it gets um and uh and just there's nobody gives a shit it's 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 weird <laughs> that is kind of weird it is really kind of weird a little bit just a little whatever but Everybody isn't that their own. part of their problem with people is that and by they i mean like antifa certain segments of blm is that um, their strategy is to wake people up from their apathy. So in order to do that, you would have to go to where the apathy is, which is the predominantly white suburbs. Yeah. At, at least that's how that's they a, see it. Uh, yeah. That's what that, yeah, yeah. I guess I, I guess I hadn't considered that. I, I was just thinking about Fort Worth people rioting, 
but yeah, yeah, per- perhaps, you know, well, I mean, even if they do live in Fort Worth, I hadn't necessarily considered those elements, but um, yeah, man, I don't know. It, it feels like if it hasn't, like there, if there hasn't really been now over in Dallas is a different story. Um, for some re- strange reason, I, I, as someone from the North still can't pick out. What, what, I don't even really know the difference between the two cities that you say are two different cities. I just thought it was Dallas-Fort Worth. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I, I was the same way until I moved here. But no, Dallas is Dallas is a like a glitzy, glamorous, up like, you know, upward trending city, whereas Fort Worth is oh, still okay. basically like a cow town. Dallas-Fort Worth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's all you need to know right there. I understand <laughs> perfectly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yep. Boy. Well... Well, there you go. Uh, 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 Aaron, you want me to tell you a story? Tell me a story. Okay. This is going to be a long one, gentlemen. Um, so obviously the, the nature of our conversation today is I, I just I want to keep every, everybody revolving around the fact that we should be keeping George Floyd in our mind in this conversation. This is not going to be a discussion about George Floyd, but it is going to be a discussion about a police officer who George Floyd encountered. Um, I would like to get the tweet out where this idea originated from. This is really, I can't even call this my idea. This is just me putting pen to paper on it, which again, isn't even me really doing that. Carrie, I'm going to excuse me here. Carrie Blackinger. I call her Blackinger. It could be Blackinger either way. Uh, Just uh, shorten it to just black. Carrie Blackinger uh, tweeted on... June 1st, 2020, uh, more than a decade before he was arrested by police in Minneapolis, George Floyd was arrested by a now notorious officer in Texas. The cop accused of fabricating an informant to wrongfully raid a home where HPD ended up killing two people. So uh, what is this? First of all, let me give you some reason why I mentioned George Floyd in this at all. First of all, obviously, because he comes up there. But as I will read the story out to you, you will understand how the individual Gerald Goins, who we're going to be talking about, the officer, uh, how that man impacted George Floyd's life, uh, even to the point where he ended up in Minneapolis and where that was his final stop. Um, So let's, I guess, get into it more or less. Anybody have any questions so far? Anybody? I'm I'm following. Good. Good, good. So let me read out the, I don't know what the legal terminology is for this, but let me read out the letter that was put up by Harris County District Attorney Kim K. Og, whose name you'll hear at the end of this more. Uh, it's addressed to George Floyd, uh, states his Houston address. Dear Floyd George Perry, based on a review of criminal cases filed in Harris County, Texas, it appears that former Houston Police Department officer Gerald Goins may have been involved in the above-referenced case, which resulted in your conviction. Please be informed that Officer Goins has been relieved of duty and is currently under criminal investigation. This notice is provided solely for the purpose of forwarding you the information of which this office has become aware. This office makes no representation regarding the relevance or materiality of this information to your case. Furthermore, this office is legally and ethically prohibited from providing you any advice regarding potential options that may be available to you. So they tell them, you know, we can't help you out any further, but you may want to know this. Mm -hmm. So what is all this? Uh, First thing you need to know, I don't know if a lot of people know this. George Floyd was not a Minneapolis native. George Floyd was born in Houston's third ward. He's a Houston native. Uh, And he lived in Houston up until the year 2014. In the year 2007, George Floyd was arrested. And excuse me if I get the exact charge wrong, because I don't have it written here. George Floyd was arrested for uh, a home invasion. And specifically, I believe it is uh, having a gun and being in a home invasion, not just, you know, a break in, but, you know, trying to stick people up. Uh, he was convicted in the year 2009 for five years. And in 2014, uh, with the, uh, by being convinced by his friend, Christopher Harris, he and his friend Christopher, as well as several others decide to move to Minneapolis for work. Uh, this is around 2014 in Minneapolis. He goes and he gets a job as a bouncer at one point or another he works the same shifts as the officer who later kills him. 
I am not alleging anything about that. It is just an interesting coincidence. Uh, at the end of everything said and done, the coronavirus epidemic strikes and Minneapolis's stores close. Uh, George Floyd loses his job. And uh, that is basically where he was up until the moment of his death. So that is George Floyd's story, as far as we know, going at least slightly back. But let's take it farther back to before Minneapolis and go back to Houston. We don't know much about George's life in Houston, obviously, other than the fact that he was arrested for this home invasion. And we'll talk about that, I guess, on the periphery of this conversation. But let's talk about Gerald Goins and who this guy is. So I'm going to read a bunch of good articles for you. Feel free to stop me at any time, but I'll let you know when I start a new article and whether or not it's long. If you guys have any questions, uh, let me open this one first. Again, thank you to Carrie Blackinger for this because she basically put most of these articles together and is responsible for writing most of them. So the first article I'm going to take you to is called Four HPD Officers Shot in Southeast Houston Narcotics Operation, A Fifth Injured, written by St. John. Wow, what a Chad name. Going Saint. I like that. Saint was John. It spelled, Carter, spelled out or just a STG? No, 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 Car. I would tell you that's even bigger. I'll tell yeah, you. Yeah, that's huge. If you, spell, if you spell out Saint, even yeah. bigger. Saint John <laughs> Barnett Smith and Nicole Hensley penned this on January 28th, 2019. I assume that must have been around the exact same time as the incident. So let me read out some of the key points that I took from it. And again, stop me whenever you have a question. And if I can answer it, I will. Veteran narcotics officers broke down the door of a suspected drug den in southeast Houston Monday afternoon, armed with a warrant and hoping to arrest heroin dealers operating out of Pecan Park home. Two suspect drug dealers were killed in the incident by return fire from officers. Uh, the chief Acevedo explained, uh, said, explaining a tip from a concerned neighbor led to the raid. The two uh, killed by police were not identified. This is at the time of this article being written. The chaos on the street line Harding Street began at about 5 p.m., Acevedo said, when a dozen narcotics officers backed by a squad of uniformed police officers descended on a Pecan Park home to serve a search warrant. Narcotics officers had developed a case against the dealers suspected of selling black tar heroin after making several undercover buys, according to law enforcement sources. Officers rammed through the door of the home to serve the warrant. Their colleagues in marked patrol cars sounded their sirens and turned on their lights. They were immediately shot at by at least one gunman inside, the chief said, detailing the firefight. The shooter briefly vanished into the home and on 7800 block, then came back around the door to shoot at the wounded officers again. Another officer managed to return fire. The shooting came as many as the shooting came as many Pecan Park residents were leaving work, Sophia Franco among them. Sophia Franco is one of the individuals who gives an eyewitness description of this. Uh, the lethal incident infuriated city leaders and cast a pale over the day, which they had celebrated a modest drop in crime in the past year. This evening's horrific attack on police officers is a solemn reminder of the service and sacrifice our brave men and women in law enforcement make every day to keep us safe, Governor Greg Abbott said. I ask all Texans to join Cecilia and me in prayers for the officers injured and for the continued safety of all law enforcement officers who protect our communities. An irate Houston Police Officers Union President Joe Gamaldi said on Monday uh, on, about Monday's shooting left his officers feeling vulnerable and like they were being targeted. Quote, we are sick and tired of dirtbags trying to take our lives when all we are doing is to protect this community and our families, he said. Quote, enough is enough. So this is the initial report from the Houston Chronicle detailing the incident of the raid. Uh, they don't give the names out. And if you'll remember some of the key things that were said, one of them being in particular that this was tipped in by a concerned neighbor. Mm -hmm. Just remember that specific fact. And just as a teaser, we did an episode on this for any of the long time or longer we, time. We was, did. was this last obviously, year? This was, was this last year, year but yeah. the story has developed quite a yes, bit. Since obviously. Then. Yes, yes. Yeah, and, you, and you'll see how it ties maybe back into Floyd. So next article I'm going to take you to is from Washington Post, written by Brittany Martin and Eli Rosenberg. Holy crap, I hate Washington Post's website. You open it up and it just vomits ads all over you. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh boy. Article is titled, Two People Were Killed in a Botched Drug Raid. Investigators Say the Official Story Was a Lie. When was this written in comparison to the previous one that was written on the 29th, 2019 January. This is written on July 26th of 2019. So several months later after this point, which actually, Carr, this might have succeeded our episode even. 
Um, mm-hmm. This might yeah. have already been past it. So this is what the article basically says. Nobody disputes the raid's grisly toll. Four officers were shot and two people inside the home were dead, along with their dog, after narcotics officers broke down the door of a house on the outskirts of Houston. But disclosures in the month following the 28th raid of January have raised questions about the evidence used to justify it, the events that took place that afternoon, and the motivations of some of the officers involved. These are questions police have struggled to answer as national attention hones in on Houston amid a larger debate over policing tactics. The police officer who led the raid retired abruptly in March, about a month after the police chief accused him of lying to justify it. Another officer retired around the same time, and questions about the integrity of these two officers were so significant that local prosecutors decided to review 14,000 incidents that they were involved in, including 2,200 criminal cases, an unusual step reserved typically for questions of severe misconduct. On Thursday, the family of the married couple killed in the raid, disabled Navy veteran Dennis Tuttle and his wife Regina Nichols, or Nicholas, filed initial paperwork for a lawsuit against the city and police department. Acevedo distanced himself from Joe Gamaldi's comments, the uh, union leader, calling them over the top. He also, he also unsealed the search warrant for the raid. The affidavit written by Gerald Goines, the narcotics officer who led the raid, said a confidential informant in regular use by the department had bought heroin at the house, which the informant gave to an officer. The informant also told the officer there was a handgun in the house, according to the affidavit. A week later, one of the officers involved in the raid was removed from duty. The reason for the removal, according to the police union, was that a key officer was still in the hospital and the department had questions they could not answer without his knowledge. The FBI opened a civil rights investigation into the Houston raid in late February. The Harris County District Attorney's Office announced it would review all 1,400 criminal cases that Goins was involved in during his more than three decades of police work in Houston. The conduct of Stephen Bryant, another officer who was also involved in the raid, has also come into question. Notable discrepancies between stories Bryant told investigators and information in Goins' affidavit, according to the Associated Press, is what tipped them off. Goins and Bryant returned within weeks of each other that month, or retired within weeks of each other that month, each with a full pension and benefits. Two other narcotics officers, including Goins' longtime partner, retired from the department around that time, according to the Houston Chronicle. Investigators hired by the the victim's families found evidence left uncollected by law enforcement at the house, including bullets, pieces of shotgun shells, two teeth from one of the victims, and blood from the pit bull that the police shot, which was about 15 feet away from the front door. They also said they found no evidence the couple fired towards the police when they entered the house. Nicole DeBoard, Goins' lawyer, said in a statement that the allegations were the result of a one-sided filing by a civil lawyer seeking a civil payout. Quote, Goins wants a thorough investigation conducted by people with no other agenda than to get the truth, she said, noting that federal and local investigations continued of the raid. Quote, a civil lawyer, oh, sorry, <laughs> a civil lawyer seeking a, uh, uh, yes, quote, a civil lawyer seeking a settlement from the city and taxpayers is not a neutral investigator. Kim Og, the Harris County District Attorney, continues to review the raid and present evidence to a grand jury to determine whether criminal charges are warranted against any of the officers. Og's office in April moved to dismiss 27 pending criminal cases, mostly around drug sales or possession connected to Goins and Bryant. So that's the next article. So now, basically, a case is opened against uh, Gerald Goins and several of his partners uh, where what is discovered is that the informant, well, many cases uh, uh, helped to tip this off, but the informant that Goins used in this specific case is currently not able to be found. So they suspect that he just made the informant up, but we'll see what they say. Any questions so far, gentlemen, or is it all starting to sink in? <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah. Yep. 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 Uh, me too, <laughs> by the way. Me too. All right, let me find the next article. The next article is written by Kerry Blackinger and, again, St. John Bernard Smith. Shout out to you two. Houston police officer in drug raid had previous allegations against him. 
And this is February 15th of 2019. So this is actually before the other article. But let's go into some of the things that this guy got up to. Let, let me be, let me be, before you start this, I just want to highlight the fact that like all, like, all of these, whether it be George Floyd, Philando Castile, this one, whatever, they're all outrageous. They're completely outrageous. This one was outrageous mm-hmm. in a, in kind of a different way in that as, as bird is taking you through this, you know, it, an article, every, you know, an article drip every five days where you're learning something new. That's like, what, what is this? The head of the police union and Acevedo and, uh, and their cohorts were coming on and just, just being assholes, uh, you know, and accusing everyone else, everyone else of wrongdoing and just being these pompous assholes on on you know the the uh, media outlets it where, where it was just infuriating and then they would get called out like over time but it was the, the, this was not something where Houston the Houston PD was humbly taking medicine they were they were out there banging the gavel and and That's just right. and making noise it was crazy keeping in mind of course that I'm reading articles that span a period of probably like 6 or 7 months like you just said and yeah. and 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 honestly like even some of the facts in each article take place weeks apart so yeah this was like you say a real information drip at the time look uh, i just want to say it's only a few bad apples <laughs> <laughs> well actually let's find out how many bad apples it is yeah um let's do that right now the article is entitled Houston police officer and drug raid had previous allegations against him So even before the deadly drug raid that left two civilians dead, Houston police officer Gerald Goins had a troubling history of allegations against him. The undercover case agent in uh, the undercover case agent in January 28th, Pecant Park raid had been involved in multiple shootings, racking up a smattering of written reprimands, faced several lawsuits and is currently accused of fabricating a drug deal, then lying about it in court to win a conviction against a man who has long maintained he's innocent, according to the Houston Chronicle internal review on Friday. But on Friday, Acevedo offered a very different narrative. Now, he said, the veteran officer, who's still in the hospital recovering from a gunshot wound to the neck, could face criminal charges after investigators realized they couldn't find the informant reportedly behind the undercover buy used to justify the no-knock warrant. Quote, the number and type of incidents should be a red flag for any police organization to go back and look at exactly what happened in any and all of the incidents, said Larry Carson, associate professor of criminal justice at the University of Houston downtown. The Chronicle typically does not publish the names of undercover officers, but Goins was publicly identified Friday after the release of recent court documents. Previous allegations surfaced about Goins and at least two other drug buys, with an officer accused of lying under oath and mishandling drug evidence, and questions arising about his use of confidential information. One of those cases, which stems from a, dr- from a decade-old drug bust, is still winding its way through the appeals process as attorneys for 63-year-old Otis Mallet argue that he's innocent and wrongfully convicted as the result of the case's agent alleged misconduct. In 2011, conviction stemmed from a drug bust three years earlier when Goins met up with Mallet's brother at a house on Danube Street for an undercover buy. Goins planned to make a crack bust with $200 of police money, which he allegedly handed over to Mallet's brother, Stephen, according to police records. Goins was the only one to witness the alleged deal. After he drove away, backup officers swooped in to make the arrest, seizing a can containing crack cocaine from behind the house next door. When, a case made, when the case made it to trial, Goins testified in court that he watched Mallet take the can from his truck and put it in the neighbor's house where police were arresting his brother. During the bust, police seized $1,600 in cash, but the $200 in buy money was initially marked down as lost. Then noted the following month as an expense allegedly paid to a confidential informant. But Goins never mentioned the informant in his narrative during the trial or in incident reports, and it's not clear if the alleged snitch actually existed. Instead, the allegations came to light after attorney Jonathan Landers filed an appeal claiming the state had suppressed evidence that could have supported the defense's theories that someone else hid the drugs. New evidence discovered in the case shows that General that Officer Goins testified falsely and that no drug deal, quote, as described by Goins, took place. Landers wrote in court documents, quote, Mallet was convicted based on Goins's perjured testimony. Over the years, Goins racked up several other minor blemishes on his record, including one that same year for failing to show up at court to respond to a subpoena. His managers praised him, however, for the fast response to burglary calls. 
his work on a tactics team in Southeast Houston, and his role as an undercover investigator in a South Houston hotel doubling as a hotspot for prostitution and drugs. Even after the allegations emerged Friday, a former supervisor stuck up for him mostly. Quote, he was a good narcotics officer. He's not corrupt, but he's lazy with his paperwork, the ex-officer said. He's had a history of not doing his reports until afterwards. An incident involving Goins drew questions in 1992 when he was shot in an undercover operation in southwest Houston. After wrapping up a controlled buy, Goins started urinating on an apartment building in the area, sparking the ire of resident Pedro Pineda. Pineda went outside to confront the officer, but didn't realize that he was police, the Chronicle reported at the time. Quote, he first tried to make the officer leave, but there was a language barrier, quote, a police spokesman said at the time. Quote, the officer waved him off and made a gesture at his pants, like he was patting on the side of his belt. Thinking that the officer was menacing him with a weapon, Pineda got out a pistol from his home and shot Goins in the cheek. A grand jury later declined to file charges against Pineda. The officer's personnel file makes no, mes- no, makes no mention of this incident. Five years later, Goins was at the center of another controversial shooting that began when he was driving south in an unmarked car while undercover and tried to merge onto Southwest Freeway. But a Chevy driver allegedly cut Goins off and the two men, quote, exchanged looks and possibly hand signs over the incident, according to Houston. I love the news, by the way, according to Houston, according to Chronicle Archives. A police spokesman said after seeing a gun in the car, the officer called for backup and followed the vehicle as it exited the loop onto the service road. The other off the other driver, Reginald Dorsey, then leaned out of his car and started shooting at Goins, who returned fire from a moving vehicle. In the end, Dorsey was hit and died from his injuries. The officer recovered and returned to duty. What year was that? That was 1992. Oh, okay. Jesus. So this, so Goins has been shot at twice. Just keep this in mind. He's been shot at twice in his and this is before any of the things that I was telling right. you about initially. Even even before uh Floyd's arrest in 2000. He's been shot at twice for being a gigantic asshole. Something like that. Yeah. Like <laughs> neither of these were like were like noble, you know. No, he was pissing on a, a thing and it looked to someone else like he threatened him and even the grand jury seemed to have agreed. And then in 2005, he was harassing him and following him in a car. And then he gets out of a car, which he was undercover, by the way, after calling police. He menaces him, following him, and the guy pulls out a gun and shoots at him. And that guy dies because he was being followed by an undercover. Yeah, who, I don't know whether or not he made note of whether or not he was an undercover, but I hope he did. Otherwise, simply following him would kind of make sense when you'd be shooting at him. Anyway, there's more. <laughs> In 2005, the officer received another reprimand after responding to a domestic violence call. Six years after that, he was suspended for one day, documents show, after an incident in which a relative called and told him she had been sexually assaulted. Goins drove to the dealership where the alleged perpetrator worked, then got out and had a physical confrontation with the man. The officer's actions, quote, are a clear indication of a lack of sound judgment then Chief Charles A. McClelland wrote in a letter informing Goins of his suspension. In 2009, supervisors wrote that the officer, quote, is a squad leader and actively volunteers assist colleagues in their performance of their duties and utilizes CIs to positive ends and performs routine duties with the highest level of safety awareness. In 2012, supervisors praised his role in investigating a sports bar owner who was selling drugs and allowed illegal gambling and alcohol sales. Oh, boy. The investigation ended with 15 people arrested on drug and weapons charges, 16 gun seizures, and $12,000 in seized cash. In 2013, he was lauded for his role in a highway drug seizure that netted more than 26 kilograms of cocaine. That same year, though, he led a raid that ended in gunfire and eventually in lawsuit. Police burst through a South Houston home looking for a man they suspected of selling PCP. This wasn't his first um, uh, raid that led to gunfire either. Any questions, gentlemen? Not yet. Uh, okay. A lot of comments, no questions. <laughs> <laughs> right. Would you like to lay in some of your comments on that? So what did we learn from that article? Well, we basically learned the man has a very storied history of using that pistol of his. Yes. And um, I could attest there is a culture in the mil- in military and law enforcement that when somebody fucks up and breaks the rules that – one of your supervisors will chastise you publicly and then mm. every single other supervisor 
will pat you on the back in private. Hmm. Do you think like Acevedo was doing that? Absolutely. Hmm. Makes sense. That's that's kind of how that works. They're like especially in jobs where you can't you can't get fired. Hmm. Cops right. can't get fired unless I don't even want to say unless they're caught on video murdering somebody because here we are now. But right, right. <laughs> Christ. Uh, next article written by again our boy Saint John Barnett Smith. Hey Saint John Barnett Smith, if you want to come on the podcast, full invite. Actually, the other penner of this article, Carrie Blackinger again. Either you guys want to come on the show to talk more about this in detail. Seriously, come on. I'm gonna start looking looking at getting them. Yeah, yeah. Get their emails on. Thanks for writing all these great articles, fellas. Uh, so this one is called "Former Houston Police Officer Gerald Goins Ordered Released from a Federal from Federal Custody." This is December fourth, twenty nineteen. Prosecutors. Ha- oh no, no, no. Wrong one. Wrong one. Okay. After spending Thanksgiving in federal lockup, the former Houston police officer behind a January drug raid. So this is about. Almost a year later, mind you, uh, behind a January drug raid that left two homeowners dead was ordered released on Wednesday from federal custody. Following this week's ruling by Judge George Hanks, Goins could be back home Thursday morning, according to defense attorney Nicole DeBoard. The move comes a week after federal prosecutors argued ex-narcotics officer Gerald Goins could be a flight risk, and a magistrate judge delayed her decision on whether to keep the 55-year-old former case agent in custody or to let him go. Goins is charged with witness tampering, falsifying records, and violating the rights of Regina Nicholas and Dennis Tuttle. Goins has denied the allegations and pled not guilty. Despite the government's objections, Hanks approved the former's the former officer's release on a $150,000 unsecured bond, which means he does not have to pay money to secure his release. The government presented no evidence that Goins is a flight risk apart from the severity of Goins's potential sentence, Hanks wrote. Goins and his former partner, 45-year-old Stephen Bryant, were arrested at their homes November 20th after agreeing to turn themselves in. Bryant has been charged in a state court with tampering with a government record, an accusation which he denies. Authorities last month also arrested Patricia Ann Garcia, who is accused of making up bad tips in a 911 call leading to the raid and shooting that killed Nicholas and Tuttle dead and... Whoa, that's a weird... What a weird sentence to write. Authorities last month also arrested Patricia Ann Garcia, who is accused of making up bad tips to a 911 call leading to the raid and shootout that killed Nicholas and Tuttle dead and five officers wounded or injured. Okay. Killed him dead. Goins, Bryant, and other arms narcotics officers burst into the couple's housing looking for a stash of guns and a pair of heroin dealers. They had zeroed in on that address after repeated tips from a woman, now identified as Garcia, who said her daughter was in the home using drugs. Quote, they were not drug dealers, FBI Special Agent O'Neill Brown told the court last week. But to justify the raid, Goins allegedly made up an informant he claimed bought heroin there on January 27th. Then, Goins signed an affidavit laying out the supposed drug purchase and legal activity and went to a municipal court judge to get a permission for a no-knock raid. The bust quickly turned into chaos after police shot a pit bull and sparked gunfire. In the days that followed, an internal investigation by Houston Police Department raised questions about the officer's justification for the search warrant. Police quickly realized they could not find the informant Goins said made the buy. So this is now December where this is occurring. This is May 21st of 2020. So let's see where all this has gone so far. What kind of damage did Gerald Goins do? And how can we, again, contextualize that in the life of George Floyd? Well, let's think. Harris County DA Kim Ogg seeks to overturn 91 more cases tied to the disgraced ex-HPD cop Gerald Goins. This was written by St. John Bernard Smith, May 21st, 2020. So they're all still on this, by the way. They're all still very active in this. Prosecutors have identified another 91 cases that they believe should have been dismissed because of the role of disgraced former Houston police officer Gerald Goins playing a role in the convictions. Harris County District Attorney Kim Ogg said Wednesday that her prosecutors have begun filing requests to judges to begin a process of getting each case dismissed. 
Prosecutors made a similar request to judges in February, citing about 70 cases between 2008 and 2019 in which defendants were convicted solely on Goins' casework. Quote, Regina Nicholas and Dennis Tuttle would be alive if a municipal judge had not signed a falsified warrant, Og said. Quote, if, a, if, a, if that magistrate had known Goins had lied on previous warrants, then I believe he would not have signed the warrant that led to their deaths. Quote, this is not a matter that should be shrugged off, quote, said Gene Wu, a state representative from Houston and former prosecutor who has called Chief Art Acevedo to provide more information about the narcotics division. Quote, it's a serious indictment of the Houston Police Department's special investigative units. It will take serious amount of work to rebuild the public trust for these types of cases. Prosecutors did not investigate the facts of each case, but are asking judges to appoint each defendant a defense attorney who can work to get each case dismissed. Chief Public Defender Alex Bunin said that lawyers will now begin the long process of investigating each case, contacting individual defendants, and filing writs on their behalf. Judges would then recommend to the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals whether they believed individuals should be overturned, individual cases should be overturned. If the appellate court's judge agrees, the cases would return to Harris County where prosecutors said they would dismiss each case. Quote, I have no doubt there are more people out there who are sitting in prison based on false testimony or just sloppy police work, quote, said Jonathan Landers, quote, a local defender, a local defense attorney who represented one of Goins's defendants whose case was overturned earlier this year. It's a sad situation, frankly, he said. Goins's defense attorney, Nicole DeBoard, criticized the DA's actions, which she said were a self-serving effort to bolster prosecutors' criminal cases against her client. Quote, they have absolutely no new or independent evidence to suggest there's anything wrong with those cases, she said. Quote, they certainly do not treat any other cases the same way. I expect to see more and more as we approach election time. But Jeffrey Korn, great name, a a law professor at South Texas College of Law in Houston, said the action sends a clear message to law enforcement. Quote, and I like this one, there's nothing more corrosive to the rule of law than breaking the law in pursuit of enforcing the law. Many of the cases now under review may have involved court cases where narcotics officers did find drug contraband. Quote, does this mean some of the people who are actually guilty may grow free? Yes, Korn said. Quote, but they're not going free because there's something wrong with the law. They're going free because there's something wrong with public officials entrusted to enforce the law. Splitting hairs over there, Korn. I appreciate it. Uh, I got, I believe this is my last article. Yes. So this is my last article where, and I'll give you the title of it unless you guys have any questions. So the title of it is Key Houston Police Narcotics Officers at Center of Fatal Harding Street Drug Raid Tallied a Few Arrests, Low-Level Drug Busts. So this is actually all going to be in post. Now I'm just going to tell you about how Goins kind of made his name and really hopefully try and illustrate the best possible picture of how much of a piece of shit he was and how much of a piece of shit the Houston police department was for allowing his behavior. And circle this back to George Floyd, please. I will circle it back to George Floyd. For all the sub IQ Neanderthals like me. (laughs) I I will. Uh, And I actually can hint at it already. Um, Well, we all know George Floyd's, you know, case was home invasion, right? Uh, His case in particular was one of the cases which was under question, as in it was one of the cases where Goins was the sole filer of the paperwork. So if you remember from the thing that I opened with this whole article about the document that was sent to Floyd, there was potential here, especially after uh, Goins is finally convicted and all of those cases are finally brought back to the local level and repealed. Where if George Floyd was alive, he would have had his entire criminal record uh, uh, displaced because oh. that was the only charge sitting on there. So was your criminal charge is this? Well, is this actually an episode of Conspiracy Court? No, no, no. Let me go <laughs> further with this. What do we know about criminals? Well, it's very difficult for them to get work. The man was out of work because of the coronavirus thing. The man only found a job as a bouncer, and then he had to quit that job because of it. And I'm sure it was really difficult for him to find a job as a bouncer in the first place, being a felon. So imagining that this sentence would have been, you know, potentially wiped off and George Floyd would have been able to get back on his feet. You know, this would have been a man who did, in fact, you know, taking the advice of his friend, Christopher Harris, to go to Minneapolis to seek a new life. You know, that wiping of his record might have helped him seek a new life. But that was all taken away from him by the same institution that gave him those problems in the first place. 
So that's the contextualization I think we need to have for George Floyd, who isn't George Floyd anymore. He's a symbol now. And he's a symbol of a particular community. And and let's extend that even greater beyond just the black community. I mean, he's a symbol of anyone and everyone who suffered the kind of thing which Derek Chauvin put Ger- uh, uh, George Floyd through, lots of names here, and which Gerald Goins put many, many people through. Oh, yeah. At least 90s. of the ultimate expression of the failure of the criminal justice system. A hundred thousand percent. And I think that's why I want to bring up, because look, again, and I was thinking about this before, did I want to make this about Gerald Floyd, uh, George Floyd? Again, sorry about all the names, the Gs and Fs. But did I want to make it about him? And I thought, first of all, everybody is making it about him as they rightfully should, right? So I don't need to be another one adding to that pile of things that are already about him. What I would rather do was there's a tendency to look at somebody like George Floyd and I want you to think Eric Garner, and I want you to think Walter Scott. There's a tendency when people, and I don't know which communities do this or which ideologies do this or what, but I even have a tendency to do this, to focus on these guys as the end of these guys. Mm-hmm. So when you think of Walter Scott, what do we always think of? I think of that image of him running. Mm-hmm. What do you, When you think of Eric Garner, what do you think? I think of the image of the man I can't even remember the cop's name, and I probably wouldn't say it if I could, choking him to death. I remember that image. And now we'll always remember George Floyd choking to death with that knee on his neck. And, and that's okay. I don't know if that's how Floyd would want to be remembered, but I figured maybe we could give a little more context to that guy who's only really being depicted as his end. You know, he was a whole human being, right. and there was a whole system that was against him, as you can see. For basically his entire life. His entire and adult life. Yeah. For, and certainly for the period of time which would have mattered most to him when he was unemployed twice, made unemployed twice. Once yeah. by an arrest, which, you know, must be called into question now. And then secondarily, based on a lockdown through no fault of his own, of course, which forced him out of a job again. And yeah. how many people are like George Floyd? George Floyd, oh my now God. Doesn't Countless. have an opportunity to tell his own story, obviously. Countless. So I feel like we need to, at least in part. And I, I agree. feel like I agree. Thank all of the writers of these articles, including St. John Barnard Smith, Nicole Hensley, uh, and Carrie Blackinger. And please forgive me if I've forgotten any other article writers' names, but I think I got everybody. Uh, those article writers are helping to keep people like George Floyd's lives alive if mm-hmm. you know what i mean now not george floyd in particular but this was a man gerald goins who had a deep impact on george floyd's life whether george floyd remembers his name or not yeah so i figured that's why we circle it back but i yeah. can i think that's no that, i think that's a i think that's a that's a fantastic angle to to bring this in because it makes something that's inherently two-dimensional into a three-dimensional beast you know it, it you like you said you tend people tend to think about that moment and that you know the 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 moment when this uh idiot took george floyd's life but then yeah when you look back there's just such a bigger story at play and right. it's just it's just relentless um tormenting by police of George Floyd. And even down to and Carr, even down to the fact that he could not live in his hometown anymore. Yes. Because he felt he needed to seek a new life. So he went to Minneapolis where the same exact situation happened again, only this time fatally. Right. Yeah. Fatally. And let's remember, because let's not let's not do the thing where we don't also recognize what actually did happen at the end. At the end of his life, this was over twenty dollars. He died over $20, which he died over $20, which was, I don't know if it was forged truly or not. I imagine it was truly forged, but of course it then brings into question why he's carrying forged bills around. Oh, because he doesn't have a job. Well, right. And does, did, do we even know if he knew they were, it's just such a, I don't know. And and honestly, car, I work in that industry and I get lots of forged bills. I'm sure they're floating around. I promise you most of the time, the people giving me them are more shocked than I am that they have a, they don't, people don't even realize that forged bills are real. A lot of them think that that's a myth, but it's not, it's very real. So whether or not he did have one, you know, honestly, I don't think that's a death sentence. I know you don't. I know nobody listening thinks that's a death sentence. Of course, I don't think it excuses an extrajudicial killing. Certainly. I've gotten forged bills countless times. And my reaction is, all right, this isn't real. 
Like, no, and give I me a real bill or get the fuck out of here. The person spending the $20 bill that's forged is 100% not the person who made it. Oh, yeah. 100%. And even now, if they are. Also mean, that may also now mean that it's they don't know that it's even a forged bill, of course, yeah. because you only say it is a forged bill and they know it if they made it. You can't assume that otherwise. Yeah. And, and so there's a lot of things, even about the way, even about the thing that led up to George Floyd's death that just hints towards this kind of system again and again and over again, this pernicious system that keeps watching him, keeps... And again, if he had a forged bill and he knew that he had a forged bill, that's wrong on his part. But I don't, nobody in the world thinks that excuses an extrajudicial killing. Nobody does. No. So that's not even relevant. Anything other than you know saying, I mean? like, get the fuck out of my store that's right. is too much. Besides, right. Yeah, I can't even imagine arresting a person over giving no. out a $20 bill. I can't even imagine that to me. I, it's crazy. But, you know. Even I when I was like a boomer fucking Republican. I, I it it still wouldn't have done. It still wouldn't have occurred to me to like call the police. No, you'd have been like, nah. Well, just break his legs, <laughs> <laughs> kill him, just get rid of yeah, him. Just, <laughs> I'll do it myself. Don't worry, boys. <laughs> All right, let's do one more article because now this is, and this is good actually, Aaron, that you brought us back to George Floyd because I would think bringing up George Floyd after this fact is, um, this is going to nestle in sort of some things that people, maybe people in George Floyd's position had to experience. Let's talk about this article, which is entitled Key Houston Police Narcotics Officers at Center of Fatal Harding Street Drug Raid Tallied Few Arrests, Low-Level Busts. The two narcotics officers at the center of the deadly drug raid on Harding Street in January spent years making scores of low-level drug busts punctuated by months with no arrests or seizures at all according to a Houston Chronicle review of police and court records spanning two decades. But in five years leading up to the drug bust that left a South Houston couple dead, Goyne seized heroin, the drug he and his narcotics squad were supposedly looking for, only on one previous occasion, according to police productivity reports. Over that same period, Bryant never seized any records show. So only Goins seized heroin one time. His uh, partner never seized heroin in the span of five years of being on a heroin team. (laughs) Most of their seizures instead netted less powerful substances such as codeine or marijuana. And an analysis of district clerk records show that a third of drug charges Goins filed in that time were for less than a gram of narcotics. Over that same period, he had 28 months where he did not make a single arrest. Experts said this pattern of focusing on small quantities of drugs and low-level cases raises questions about policing priorities and supervision in a squad that's come under withering scrutiny over the past year. Police Chief Art Acevedo cautioned against drawing conclusions about the officer's productivity without knowing more about their specific assignment within the squad and defended the squad's focus on small-time busts. Quote, street-level narcotics is for just that, street-level dealers, he said. It's not for your distribution networks. The records do not indicate work Goins and Bryant may have performed on cases led by other squad members or assignments outside of their unit. It doesn't tally other police work they may have engaged in, such as responding to natural disasters or other issues not directly related to their narcotics assignment. For Goins, the raid and criminal charges marked an ignominious end to a long career in public service. But despite his distinguished years on the force, the department's monthly productivity reports show sparse activity in recent years. Goins' attorney, Nicole DeBoard, said that because her client acted more in a supervisory capacity, the lower statistics weren't troubling. Quote, in a supervisory role, he wouldn't necessarily be taking credit for the arrests that he is involved in because he is the, because the person he is supervising would, she said. Quote, that is why I don't think those numbers are surprising. Over the five years leading up to the Pecan Park raid, Goins made an average of 1.5 arrests per month. His ex-partner Bryant came in at around 2.5 arrests per month, including a 13-month stretch where he did not tally any arrests. His attorney, Anthony Drumbeller, Drumheller, 
Jesus, <laughs> attributed that statistic to an 11th month period during which Bryant worked in the division's money laundering initiative. Records show Goins' arrest figures among the lowest of the street-level narcotics officers the Chronicle identified as having participated in the raid on 7815 Harding. Bryant's arrest figures were closer in line with several other officers, whose arrest figures ranged from about 2.25 arrests per month to about 4.25 arrests per month, according to the police productivity reports. The Chronicle obtained five years of those reports, which tally officers' work over the previous month, including the number of undercover buys, the amount of drugs seized, and the number of arrests each officer made. Police and union officials argued that the figures could be skewed by the neighborhoods where the officers worked, the habits of users within different regions, and the officers' different roles within the squad. Officer Goins needs to refocus, Sergeant Clemente Reina wrote in August 2018, urging him to increase his productivity. Over Goins' career, supervisors rarely had other criticisms besides chiding him for taking too long to turn in paperwork. The records show that in the 13 months before the botched raid, Squad 15 made 251 arrests leading to 276 convictions and seized firearms and illicit substances including marijuana, cocaine, codeine, and methamphetamines. Quote, you're talking about, you know, basically an arrest a day, said Corky Shalalin. I promise that's the real name. Corky Shalalin, executive director of the Texas Narcotics Officers Association. Quote, you'd hope they'd be out there doing at least that. <laughs> I guess so, Corky. But Goins and Bryant were never tasked with those bigger busts. Instead, when they made arrests, they were ch- they, the charges were usually misdemeanors or low-level felonies. According to the Chronicle Review of Court Records, detailed more than 1,000 criminal cases generated from Goins' work over the past two decades and roughly 650 from Bryant, Bryant's work over the same period. Nearly 60% of the charges in which Goins was the primary officer were, were for possessing or selling less than a gram of drugs. More than 70% were misdemeanors or state felonies, the lowest-level felony in the Texas Criminal Code, which typically involves uh, well under $100 worth of drugs. Sylvester Tannenbaum, a former Dallas-area police officer who now advocates for drug policy reform through the Law Enforcement Action Partnership, questioned the value of relying heavily on low-level narcotics arrests as a policing tactic. Quote, generally, the goal is to arrest the low-level guys and use the threat of a higher charge to get them to turn over information on who's their dealer, who's their supplier, so they can work up the chain, he said. Quote, if they're just focusing on low-level arrests, then they were a pretty useless narcotics team. Acevedo said street-level narcotics teams aren't tasked with going after the bigger busts. Typically, he said the, quote, heavy hitters, quote, in major drug trafficking organizations are not a visible presence on the street in local communities. So when police respond to citizen complaints, it's not usually in reference to high-level suppliers. To drug policy experts and advocates, the reliance on small-time arrests and periods of inactivity also highlight broader concerns about taking a primitive approach to low-level drug possession. Quote, it demonstrates a very dated set of priorities, said Scott Henson, policy director for criminal justice reform nonprofit Just Liberty. Quote, a 34-year undercover with that level of training and experience just walking up to someone in the street and asking to buy crack? That is a waste of time, he said. <laughs> On top of that, some experts suggested that low-level bus may not even be an effective means for getting drugs off the street. Some, such as Third Ward community organizer Asada Richards, questioned whether heavy, dr- heavy policing of drug users and small-time dealers helps communities or whether risks of raids and the cost of incarceration are simply no longer worth it. Quote, is it worth it? Every community in Houston has an answer to that. But at the end of the day, probably not. O'Burke said, O'Burke is a, l- a lawyer involved in the case, quote, if you're doing, if all you're doing is arresting the people for the sake of arresting people, in my opinion, you're probably not accomplishing a lot. You're simply replacing one drug dealer with another. That's the end. <sighs> it's uh, what a, what a cluster. This is one police officer in the United States of America. One. And, and you, and God, it's and and this like I, I I understand like and this is a place where you got to tread lightly and I understand that there absolutely is systemic kind of racial components in this country but just trying to break this particular situation down strictly on race is very very become you see how difficult it becomes and how solutions oriented it isn't you know it it but particularly Gerald Goins that officer who 
arguably set this whole thing in motion. I mean, arguably set the entire thing in motion, including riots that are going on right now. He was black, right? Yeah, um, he was black. I, I, and, I avoided, and I avoided mentioning it the entire time to try and give that 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 empty perspective. Because right. I agree with you. I think while I do think there is a necessary racial component, I think that's more in the spurring people to action part of it. Right. I don't think it's what our focus should be. Our focus should be clearly what she says at the end. Is it worth it? Every community has an answer to that. But at the end of the day, probably not. If all you're doing is arresting people for the sake of arresting them, you're not accomplishing a lot. That's right. the problem. You are yeah, that's yeah, exactly, exactly into the wind. Both of uh, you are yeah. spitting into the wind Ger- as far as Gerald, this isn't a Gerald racial Goins- component. No, it is. I, I completely agree with you, but it's already been mass marketed as systemic racism. Right. You know, the fact that the boot is on all of our throats and this, this is what I've been saying. I've been trying to communicate to everybody on Twitter is that the boot is on all of our throats just to a different degree. Yeah. Right. There are people it, who that boot is pressing down on harder and that's precisely objectively why on black people it is that it, right and that's crushing is their skull right. while it's yep. lightly pressed to our temple but well I, right. but, but you could also say that uh i mean you you can't say that about dennis tuttle and regina nicholas in houston yeah. it was pressed yeah. down on them pretty hard they got they got executed you know that's and, right. and they're they probably still asleep or or, or at least and this, is, on, and this is precisely why the motivators for action everybody should respect everybody's motivators for action because the action is clear right yeah, yeah what we need to do is more or less pretty clear. The group that all, needs to be reformed. All of these yeah, but there's all qualifiers for all of those motivators. <laughs> all of these victims, on- all of these victims, uh, aggressors have one thing in common. They're cops. Yeah. All of yeah. these victims, uh, uh, aggressors don't have one thing in common. It's their race. It, the the right. police chiefs are Hispanic and black, and the right. the, the officers are, are are you know the the beat officers that did the acts were white and and black. Um. And then the victims were black and white, like I mean, both, you know, it's a, the, what, 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 you know, how do you, how do you clean that data up in order to come up with any sort of actionable item with it? it there's only one way it's, it's, it's cops and non-cops. Which I think is again, largely agreed upon. Yeah. I think, I think the desire to racialize it is an expressive desire. It's mm-hmm. not a gold desire. It's not to I say think that's the only one desire though, from, from my, from my anecdotal experience throughout all of this, that's the dominant nobody, desire. Nobody, nobody believes that the majority of people who are taking the anti-composition only want to make it better for black people. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's I will true. say, I, I will say this is probably the least, like the, I'll, I'll say this, the least effectively racialized of any of these outcryings. Like I, I'm, and I agree. I actually agree with you. But then again, we don't really – there's another component here, which is we really don't know the relationship between these two gentlemen. And I mean Chauvin and Floyd. And yeah, that you're right. could you're right. very specifically have a racial component to it that very motivated well him to act the way that he did. Mm-hmm. And even if he didn't, we certainly know – I mean, the Minneapolis Police Department, I, I – you know – would it be a stretch for me to say there's absolutely no systemic racism in that department? I mean, there has to be at least if it, if it's anywhere, it's probably permeating the entire system of policing in some way or another. So it's not, I don't want to divorce it from the black lives matter narrative, but I agree that this is clear. And this is not a stretch to say. And again, I don't even think black lives matter disagrees with this. It just, I believe it's viewed as a sort of overstepping of an issue that already accomplishes this conversation. That's what I feel people take offense to is you go, well, it's not just Black Lives Matter. We're all under threat. They go, yeah, we know that. We're well aware of that. Why would you try and change the name of a movement that's already picking up steam? The focus on race, I don't think is just black people, right? Again, like we just said, I don't think Black Lives Matter in any sense is only fighting for the rights of black people. You do see within the Black Lives Matter movement, people who take the stance, black people need to fight for their own rights, Asian people need to fight for their own rights, Hispanic people need to fight for their own rights. You see that notion sometimes by some people in that movement. Mm-hmm. But to the vast majority, think about it this way. in Because uh, uh, this is all, all I know is history. <laughs> in, in the French Revolution, in order to get the king back into the city of Paris where he had fled, maybe you've heard of the Woman's March. 
It was a march of several thousand women who went out to the countryside to Versailles to go and confront the king to tell him to come back into the city where he could be tried and then executed. Now, it's called the Women's March. Obviously, it was spearheaded and actually almost entirely a group of women who convinced the king to come back to the city of Paris. That was a woman's movement, but it was also an anti-royalist movement. Mm-hmm. It can do many things at once, but obviously the woman who led the charge by their femininity, they all said, we are doing this as women. We are doing this as an, as an expression of our equality through feminism. This is why the march was done. They went out, did that, brought him back. I think Black Lives Matter can be viewed in very much the same way, that the particular major televised issue which it always has been before television even up to today has been people's skin color. That is what spurs the movement because that is where a majority of the grievances are held. I I, I imagine. So I I get it. I think there's, what I'm saying is there's equal space for this conversation to merge. I think you can say, I I think we shouldn't so much on race, but we should also keep this thing as a constant environmental reminder about race as well as other things. Because another thing people don't talk about is it's not just race, but a lot of black people are also in lower income brackets. Mm-hmm. It's a class yeah. thing too. They're all, it's all, it's, it's, it's a dicursive thing. If, 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 if you're, and this is not my perspective, this is a perspective I've heard communicated. If you are black, you are more likely to be poor. It doesn't work the other way around. You don't simply become black if you are poor, but to get out of that, situation i don't know where one would start you're stopped from one wall by your color the color of your skin you're stopped by another by your current economic status so i think we can have all of these conversations and i think the temptation for anybody to specifically point out one aspect of that in an antagonistic way i just don't know if it's helpful right now when we have an active movement cares what the name is you saw what they did to that police precinct on on tuesday all under the Black Lives Matter, everybody, everybody I, was said to have been spurred out there by Black Lives Matter. You can't say they weren't unless they're agitators, but yeah, I yeah, know. no, I agree. I, I agree with you, and and ultimately, and for as much progress as BLM can make, I'm with I'm I'm with them 100. What I see is a very easily hijackable because of the name mm-hmm. itself movement where, mm-hmm. where the media can just go nuts with it and, and, yeah. and very easily take this, uh, take this thing in a different direction. Um, and, and that's where I would love to see b- both people, you know, like, like white people and black people's c- try to c- meet in some middle ground where it's like, yes, I recognize that things are, are more difficult for you in this country because of your race. Um, but that's not, but that, that's not the solution forward. So let's move forward by, by working to, and, you know, for the normies out there, you know, uh, clean up policing or whatever, you know, for us, obviously our goals are different, but, um, work towards that goal. We keep in mind the racial past, but there's no real solution for us going forward using that as any sort of, um, guiding light, you know, it's it's a recognition of past, but yes, there is no solution that comes from that. I, I I completely agree. The only solution is one that targets the aggressor, yes. not not remunerates the aggressed, because right. we're all aggressed. And yes. so the only way we can stop that and get as much out of it as all of us deserve would be to stop the aggressor, not to try and take from the aggressor, you know, only our pie. It's not helpful. And I agree right. with you. What portion of BLM that- do you think that's a non-starter? That's a good question. I, 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 it's a really good question, especially considering it's such a disorganized movement mm-hmm. um, that there are leaders in parts of it which are organized, but the vast majority of the Black Lives Matter movement are individuals. Yeah, and I would uh, say this, Aaron. I would I would look to, and I uh, I haven't been to any protests, uh, but uh, at least from what I see on the news, the news who would, in my opinion, or at least at this point, be motivated um, quite highly to highlight racial uh, divides at these protests. I think they've had a very difficult time doing that. Yes. I think, I think that it's been remarkable. One of the, it's, it's kind of blown me away, frankly, at how inclusive they've all been and how many, how many people of all races are out there. And I mean, particularly because be, just because it's a BLM movement, how many white people are out there and how yeah. inclusive all of the black people have been and just like marching side by side with them. And so I don't know that, that, that circles back here into my, to my, to my concern with the media hijacking it. Um, because you know, that's their classic game is trying to wedge divides. And, and yep. so I hope that people hold yeah. strong and There's, say, yes, we're, I to, think, we're together. I think they yep. face the threat of hijacking from a lot of different directions. Yeah. Not yeah. Just probably the media, right. But 
Yeah. So does every group. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you do yeah. what you can. You That's try true. and keep a consistent message that is a better message than whatever could be supplanted, you know? So anyway, there's your Gerald Goins story uh, and how it affects George Floyd we spoke about and how it affected, uh, I think at some point we talked about, it's a minimum really of 300 cases at this point that have been reconsidered. Yeah. So maybe that's 300 men to these two guys alone. Let's not forget, of course, that it isn't just Gerald Goins. It was also his partner as well. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 and obviously many other men and women. Right. On top that, of that. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the entire goddamn department probably. I mean, how many people had to have looked the other way for that long? Sure. Right. What about the guy and, who. And Acevedo is fire. still there. Yeah. Yes, he is. It, it doesn't surprise me just because of that culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've seen it time and time again in the military and the police in the military are really not that different. There's a brotherhood that forms and you want to take care of your problem children. Yep. Yeah. All right, boys, let's uh, pack this one up. Yeah. Let's go go for a loot. Let's go for a loot. Where are you looting car? Oh man. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Aaron. You thought about it? Uh, are you gonna be I would love to loot a gun store if I like, yeah, really sounds like a knowledge. bad idea. Oh yeah, Padre. it's a terrible idea. But like, <laughs> mostly driven to the fact that I would love to just get another lower receiver. Hmm. <laughs> I believe I I chose Sports Authority. That's where I'm going. I'd I'd probably join you there. We could go looting yeah. together. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Well, everybody out there. Be safe. Don't talk to police. And keep two hands on the wheel. Go fuck yourselves. And go fuck yourselves.